0: In 1817, the British Museum purchased a bust of Ramses II. Ramses II was widely regarded to be the greatest pharaoh to rule Egypt. Ramses the Great, as he was known, assumed the throne in 1279 BC, and he ruled for 66 years, living into his 90s. His military victories brought unprecedented wealth to Egypt, so that he built great cities, Amazing, impressive temples. And he uh, ordered that countless statues of himself uh, be erected throughout his empire. At the time of his death, since he was into his 90s, uh, most of the people living in his, uh, in, under his rule had never known another ruler than Ramses II. And most of them lived under the shadow of one of his colossal colossal statues. He came to be considered a god. Over a thousand years later, in the first century B.C., a Greek historian discovered uh, the ruins of his temple in Luxor. And he described uh, these ruins, describing especially focusing on a statue of, of, of the pharaoh that towered over 60 feet high. And it had an inscription at the base that read, King of Kings, Ozymandias am I. If any want to know how great I am and where I lie, let him outdo me in my work. Ozymandias is a transliteration of the throne name of Ramses. So inspired by the news in 1817 that the British Museum had purchased a bust of Ramses, actually that came from this very spot, uh, a seven-ton bust of Ramses, Uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley, the English Romantic poet, composed one of his most famous sonnets, Ozymandias. And in it, he affirms the very point that our text makes this morning. A point about the futility of man's self-reliance. Listen to this sonnet, Ozymandias. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert near them on the sand, have sunk Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Shelley captures the ephemeral nature of a person's greatness or glory, even the glory of a magnificent king like Ramses the Great. His once great cities, his majestic temples, his imposing statues lay now in ruins, Deprived of their former glory by either wars or thieves or by the slow but relentless labor of wind and sand and rain. Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8 uses poetic language to offer a sobering warning to those of us who would be tempted to rely upon our own strengths, our own talents, our own money, our own status, or that of others to find fulfillment or to be delivered from pain, from suffering, or from death. Because the truth is that even our very best gifts and our very best accomplishments will wither and fade. Instead, our text compels us to place our trust, our confidence, and our hope on the unwavering certainty of God's promises. So let's turn now to Isaiah chapter 40. I'll be reading verses 6 through 8. Please listen to the word of the Lord. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to look at this text and we're going to unfold the truths that are contained therein by considering two points. Number one, that man's will is fragile and fickle, and number two, that God's word is firm. And faithful. So let's look at this first point: man's will is fragile and fickle. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. In the first thirty-nine chapters of Isaiah, the prophet brings charges against God's people for their unfaithfulness to the covenant, for forsaking God, and for turning instead to worshiping idols. In Isaiah chapter one, verse four, we read. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. And then in Isaiah 39, it ends with a prophecy of Judah's imminent devastation at the hands of Babylon. Babylon a prophecy that God's people would go into exile. So those are the bookends of the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. But then chapter 40 marks a dramatic shift in the book. Now the prophet looks not at his own immediate context, but peers into the future. And he records a message for a generation of Jews who will live over a century later, and would find themselves as exiles in Babylon with Jerusalem in ruins and the message that he records for them and a the message that is recorded for us is a message of hope in fact the first 5 verses of Isaiah 40 with his message of comfort of peace and of certain salvation was selected they were selected by George Frederick Handel as the first 3 songs in his masterful English English uh, language oratorio, uh, Messiah, which we, of course, have uh, enjoyed here at CEPC for years. So whereas Isaiah chapters 1 through 39 spell catastrophe for Israel, Isaiah 40 to 66, that is the rest of the book, heralds salvation not just for Israel, but for the whole world who had put its trust in the Messiah. But there is a critical caveat to this message of deliverance. The hope of God's people must rest in God and not in man. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 6 again. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. So we have here a messenger from God, an angel, commanding the prophet to declare God's truth to God's people. And the prophet asked, what shall I cry? Now it isn't clear if the rest of verse 6, which I read, is the beginning of the angel's response or the words of the dejected prophet. Either way, the meaning of the text doesn't change. But before discussing this meaning, don't miss this. The angel says, cry. Okay, He's telling the prophet, speak with urgency. Speak with passion. Speak with conviction. Because you see, regardless of our circumstances, God's word is to be believed and needs to be proclaimed. And needs to be pro- to proclaimed with relentless and unshakable boldness. Think of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.16 where he writes, For if I preach the gospel... That gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Dear Christian, always expect this kind of courage and commitment from any pulpit. Ministers have been entrusted with a precious treasure. The good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's the best news that anybody could hear and we are to proclaim it. It's the gospel itself. Now, preachers get excited about a lot of other things. We get excited about the same things that excite anyone else. We get excited oftentimes about things that will excite secular society even, both good and bad. And we can get distracted and cry out about other things. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to cry out with conviction, with passion, with integrity, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as 2022 begins, let me reiterate to you the same commitment that Richard regularly mentions from this pulpit. And that is that CEPC, from its senior pastor to every avenue of ministry that flows from this church, is committed to faithfully, boldly, and lovingly proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We will do so with integrity and with passion because these are the words of life. But this call to cry out, to cry out God's message, to cry out the Gospel, doesn't only apply to pastors, of course. It applies to all Christians. It applies to you. Every believer Is a herald of the King. This 2022, may you, the members of this church, renew your resolve to boldly share the good news of Jesus Christ, to boldly share the good news of salvation with your neighbors, with your friends, with your classmates, with your co workers. Now, let me read to you verse 6 again. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Now, like I said, it's ambiguous whether, to, whether uh, the, the line that begins with, All flesh is gr- like grass, whether that's the beginning of the angel's message to Isaiah, or if it's the conclusion of Isaiah's disheartened response to the angel. In other words, Isaiah may be saying, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Everything fades away. What's the point? And then verses 7 and 8 would be the beginning of the angel's response, or the entirety of the angel's response that is recorded here. Now again, even though the meaning of the text doesn't depend on who the speaker is uh, with respect to these, uh, these lines, I prefer the latter Understanding that it is Isaiah who speaks these lines because this way it emphasizes the message of comfort and encouragement that will come from God. But more on, uh, on that later. Right now, what I want us to focus on is on the prophets or the angels correct diagnosis of man's fragility. All flesh is like grass. All flesh is like grass. In other words, all mankind is transient and, in a sense, dispensable. Why do you even care? Why should I cry? Why bother? Here we may hear echoes of Psalm 8, words that we uh, prayed earlier. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him at a time when the culture indoctrinates us with the notion that true happiness is only found when we get to be whoever we want to be when we get to do whatever we want to do when we get to have whatever we want to have and when social media inflates our egos by providing a platform for us to share selfies And pictures of what we eat, and where we vacation, and our expert opinions on vaccines. And at a time when many Christians question how a loving God might dare to condemn any human being to hell, Isaiah's low opinion of all flesh may seem out of place. But he really is wondering, why does the God of the universe... Why does the God who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, why does this God care about us? We are like grass. You see, Isaiah is dejected. He's deeply disappointed. He's despairing because God's people have rejected God's message. And now the word that has come to him is that God's people are heading into exile. And even the very best of God's people have failed. At the end of Isaiah 39, Hezekiah, who hears the message from the prophet, a message in which he tells him that Babylon is going to take over, that his sons are going to be taken to serve in the court in Babylon. This great king, Hezekiah, His response is, oh, that's a good word because it's not going to happen during my lifetime. You see, even the very best people have failed. It's not just the common grass. All flesh is grass and all its beauty like the flower of the field. This word translated here as beauty is the Hebrew word hesed. The Septuagint translates this as glory. All flesh is grass and its glory like the flower of the field. The NIV translates this as faithfulness. All flesh is grass and all its faithfulness like the flower of the field. I like the NIV's translation here. Um, it's, It's the same word that is used in the refrain for Psalm 136 where we read, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. That's hesed. Steadfast love. Wrapped up in this meaning, in the meaning of hesed, is an unwavering loyalty to one's covenant partner. A steadfast love that results in eager performance of covenant obligations. It carries within it strong emotion that guarantees action. Within it, are the nuances of beauty, loveliness, constancy, and yes, faithfulness. What Isaiah is saying here is that even man's chesed, even the crown of man's virtue, is like a fading flower. Isaiah is dejected. Not merely because mankind in general is like grass, but because God's covenant people themselves have forsaken their sworn allegiance to God. Every day, they violate the covenant without shame. Their loyalty to God is like a fading flower. Even the will of God's people is fragile and fickle. So why should I cry to that kind of people? says the prophet. Now, at this point, you're probably asking yourselves, didn't he say that Isaiah 40 was the beginning of the prophet's message of hope? Okay, so that's point two. God's word is firm and faithful. The first clue that this is a message of hope is that even though man's will is fragile and fickle, and even though God's people are spiritual adulterers, God is still speaking to Isaiah. Think about that. God is still speaking to the prophet that is to take this message to his people. Because you see, everything that I said about hesed that beauty, that loveliness, that constancy, that steadfast love, God actually displays. God said to Israel, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And he has not moved an inch. God's word to the prophet is evidence of his faithfulness to his people. God's word to us is evidence of his loyalty and love to his church. Look at verse 7. This is the angel's response. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. So the angel begins God's message of hope by affirming, first of all, Isaiah's words. And he uses a Hebrew play on words, a pun, to give us deeper insight. When he says, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, the word there translated as breath is the Hebrew word ruach, which also means wind. Or spirit. So here, he uses a meteorological metaphor. Wind. Right? It refers to this hot eastern wind that that can blow across Israel, even now, in the spring. Even in the spring. Um, And and when it does so, it scorches the grass in a matter of hours. It's like a sandstorm that sweeps through. In other words, what the angel is saying here is that man, like nature... Is that the mercy of God's sovereign and providential rule over all creation? He's in control, always. Yes, man is like the grass that withers, and his virtues, his accomplishments, his glory is like a flower that fades. But it's all according to God's plan and purpose. Think about that. It's all, even, even when, when that wind, scorches the very people of God. It's according to God's plan and purpose, which cannot be defeated. Egypt, Philistia, Edom, Moab, Midian, Syria, Assyria, Babylon, Phoenicia, Rome, all of them at one point ruled over God's people and seemed like insurmountable opponents to God's plan, purpose, and people. The number of their soldiers have appeared to be as numerous as there are blades of grass and their glorious accomplishments as admirable as the beauty of the flower of the field. But just like grass withers, and the flower fades when when the scorching wind blows, so these seemingly formidable adversaries of God's people wilt and fall away when God's ruach blows, when God's spirit breathes. That's the play on words that the prophet gives us through the angel. Christians ought to be comforted by the realization that God's Spirit dwells within His church. No matter what enemies we face, no matter what threats loom, no matter what trials we encounter, they are ultimately no match for the Spirit of God who works even through our pain to purify us, even through our tears to temper us, and even through our fears to fortify our faith. So, yes, dear Christian, take comfort in the fact that no power or principality or pestilence or perverse plot can prevent God's prevailing plan and purpose to protect, prosper, and purify His people. But you must also know that this comfort rests on God's performance and not on your own. God alone saves. We cannot save ourselves, even if we try. We cannot do it. God alone saves. The angel intimates this when he says, Surely the people are grass. Certainly, even God's people, those who have the covenant, those who have his word, those who know better, even they Even we are like grass. This is stinging condemnation to the faithlessness of God's people. Because you see, self-reliance is self-deception. Self-reliance is self-deception. And we are prone to underestimate our sinfulness. And to overestimate our virtue. Calvin writes that we intoxicate ourselves with self-confidence. Now, mercifully, God's word provides us with a sobering self-assessment that leaves us no choice but to rest in the shadow of the cross. That's where this word takes us, to the shadow of the cross. We have nothing to provide even for our own salvation, but the full provision is met in Jesus Christ what Calvin writes In a word the prophet after having mentioned consolation shows in what way men must be prepared to receive it for they are not capable of it till they have formerly been reduced to nothing our hardness must therefore be softened our haughtiness must be cast down and laid low our boasting must be put to shame and our hearts must be subdued and humbled if we wish to receive with any advantage the consolations which the prophets bring to us by the command of God. You see, this is a mercy. It is a mercy that we know that we depend on God because this God is dependable. What is this consolation that Isaiah brings? Look at verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades... But the word of our God will stand forever. The consolation is the enduring promise of our God to us. The consolation is God's word. After this prophecy is given, Israel will fall. Jerusalem will lay in ruins. God's people are going to lose their home, their homeland, their individual homes. They will lose their possessions and they will endure exile. And through it all, the angel says that God's promise to deliver his people will stand. Cry it out, he tells Isaiah. Promise it. Proclaim it. Preach it. And God, as he always does, kept his promise. As Jesus said, God's word cannot be broken. Just like he brought his people out of the bondage of Egypt, he brought them out of captivity in Babylon. But more than that, God has sent his own son to deliver his people from the bondage of sin and from the captivity of of death, just like his word said he would. You see, man's will is fragile and fickle, but God's word is firm and faithful. The New Year resolutions that rely on your own flesh will be like grass that withers and like flowers that fade, whether you keep them or not. Christian, this 2022, resolve to read God's word, to study God's Word, to memorize God's Word. Resolve to avail yourselves of, and take comfort in, the promises that are contained therein. Resolve to nourish your spirit in and through the life of the church. The church is God's steward of His ordinary means of grace resolve to avail yourself of these means of grace. Your investment in God's word is an investment in eternity. As Jesus says in John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Nourish yourself. Nourish your family in 2022 with God's word, the word of the Spirit, the word of Christ. Look at verse 8 again. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word translated as word in this text also means deed. So this poetic prophecy contains yet another play on words. God's word, it's, it's fitting because God's word is inseparable from his deed. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the deed of our God will stand forever. God promised to free his people from slavery in Egypt, and he did. Because you see, man's will is fragile and fickle, but God's word is firm and faithful. God promised to return his people from exile in Babylon, and he did. Because you see, man's will is fragile and fickle, but God's word is firm and faithful. God promised to send his people a savior to deliver them from the domain of sin and death, and he did. Because you see, man's will is fragile and fickle, but God's word is firm and faithful. And now, God promises to remove your guilt and to remove your shame away and to equip you to walk in righteousness and newness of life if you receive Christ as your Lord and feed on his word. And he will. Because you see, man's will is fragile and fickle, but God's word is firm and faithful. After Ramses II devoted his time, talent, and treasure to build his own kingdom, the results were astonishing, to be sure. But even the radiance of his glory withered and faded away. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look at my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away." Dear Christian, self-reliance is self-deceit. It is a colossal wreck. Its foundation is fragile, its resolve is fickle, and its hope futile. But God promises to you, His promises to you, His word to you is the fountain of immortality. His word, His promises, they rest on a foundation that is firm, are guaranteed by a God who is faithful and have been secured for you by a Savior whose love lasts forever. So instead of leaving you with the sad words of Percy Bysshe Shelley, let me leave you with the hope-filled words of a better poet. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though your word, which is the truest, most faithful, most honest mirror, in which we can peer and see our reflection. And even though it demonstrates to us time and again our fragility, our faithlessness, Father, we thank you that even that is a blessing to your people. Because you don't leave us in that estate, but you provide for us The one whose righteousness covers us. The one who takes our sin and nails it to the cross. The one who gives himself to us that we might belong to you. Father, may we remember that every day of 2022. I pray, Lord, that everyone here would resolve to believe that, to proclaim that, to share that message, that promise that anyone, who believes that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, the provision for salvation, the Christ. And everyone who confesses it with their lips, who proclaims it, will be saved. Father, this is a promise that you give us. It is our hope, and it will stand forever. Fathers, we prepare also to come to your table. May that gospel, the gospel to all of our senses that the sacrament represents, may that proclaim to our souls the very same message that we have heard. That in Jesus Christ, all of our needs are met. Strengthen us through Christ, even as your spirit takes us to feed on him by faith. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.